Hello and welcome to Where Many Have Gone Before, the podcast where I, John D. Ruddy, trek through the grandness that is Star Trek for the very first time. You're all very welcome to this second episode. In this episode, I will be talking with the great and glorious Michael Leddy. You'll be getting to know him a lot more throughout these podcasts. Just to let you know, the episodes I watched for this podcast are The Cage and The Man Trap. If you like the sound of this podcast, please let me know via Twitter at John D. Ruddy. And also please, you know, like, share, subscribe and uh, all of that jazz. Anyone who you know who's into Star Trek, please send me their way. Because... This might give them a lift amidst this coronavirus chaos. And uh, if you're listening to this a long time after the coronavirus, then I have instantly dated the beginning of this podcast. But you're high endeavor. Um, I will pass over now to me and Michael. Enjoy. Hello, folks. And uh, here we are. I would like to introduce you to the wonderful Mr. Michael Letty. Mr. Michael Letty, what's your name and where do you come from? Well, uh, my name is Michael Letty and uh, I've been uh, watching Star Trek all my life. I grew up in the 1970s watching the original series on RTE and BBC. It was always on, constantly on. That was a good thing. And uh, then in 1990, Star Trek The Next Generation showed up, and uh, I was a big fan of that from the beginning. Watched that also on RT and BBC, and uh, and then Voyager came along, my favourite of the Star Treks. Watched Deep Space Nine, uh, gave up on that before the ending, Um, and currently watching Picard and Discovery, and catching up with Scott Bakula's show, Enterprise read a handful of the comics over the years and a few of the novels. So, uh, lifelong Star Trek fan. So you have a fairly comprehensive knowledge of Star Trek. Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) Dabble. You dabble. (laughs) Say no more, say no more, because, well, I I outlined uh, a bit more comprehensively in our previous uh, um, introductory episode... But um, just to just to give you a quick uh, recap as to my where I stand with Star Trek and my knowledge of Star Trek, so I have not well no I, I have I have since watched the first three episodes of the original series, but up until yesterday, I had not seen any of the original series. I had seen I had seen Wrath of Khan. I've seen. First Contact and Insurrection. I've seen bits and pieces of episodes of um, Next Generation. I've seen um, maybe one episode of Deep Space Nine. Was it Deep Space Nine where they go back to the original Enterprise with the Trouble with Troubles? Yes, that's the one. Yes, I have seen that episode. Um, And I don't think... Well, I mean, I have seen Voyager, but I haven't watched Voyager, if you know what I mean. And yeah, then probably not enter. I haven't seen much Enterprise, or and I haven't seen any of Picard. So yeah, I, I have I have seen the two J.J. Abrams movies, and very much enjoyed them, particularly the first one. And that that is it. I am I've I was always more of a Star Wars person growing up. I grew up in the nineties, and. Um, and so that that was my and I was a teenager all throughout the two thousands, which was a bit more of a good time for Star Wars as opposed to Star Trek, I think, at that point. But uh, yeah, yeah, see that yeah that makes more sense in terms of the timing as to why you would be more into Star Wars. The the peak probably for Star Trek, really, the new modern Star Trek, would be ten years earlier because it was the early nineties. Next Gen, Deep Space Nine came on, and it was not only huge in the ratings, but at that time, Star Trek was like a pop culture thing. Yeah, yeah, because Phantom Menace came out when I was ten, so I was the perfect age for it. I, I was the age that it was aimed at, so I actually loved Phantom Menace when it came out. I was thirteen when Attack of the Clones came out. I was sixteen when Revenge of the Sith came out. I was the perfect age for those movies. And um, for me, for those years, um, for I was t- I turned ten in nineteen eighty. Star Trek was the one that was everywhere because uh, RTE had it on Tuesdays. BBC One, Monday night, 7.20, that was Star Trek. Yeah. So through my teen years, I was watching it most weeks, probably twice a week, every week, 
Um, and then it went away, and then in the 90s, it came back on BBC Two, and I watched it yeah. a- a- again. I was thinking it was on BBC Two. I, I, I do have memory of... I do have memory of Next Gen being on BBC Two, and I remember Deep, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, but I always felt, particularly with those two shows, I felt like I missed the boat with them, and I didn't know who any of the characters were. I found... Even you know, even though I didn't watch Next Generation religiously, I I, I felt you could really pick up the characters very well, uh, very quickly. Um, but uh, we'll we'll get to Next Generation. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're, we'll get there. Right, we'll get there. Right now, we're going to talk about the original series from 1966, and um, I yeah, you watched. The pilot, I, didn't you? I watched the pilot. I watched the cage. Um, so I'm watching them in the order that Netflix is telling me to. So I watched. <laughs> so I watched the pilot. Then I watched the man trap, and then I watched um, uh, Charlie. Charlie X. Charlie X. Charlie yeah, X. obviously Netflix. Yeah, they're sticking to the original air date order. Yes. Except the cage. The cage wasn't broadcast. Um, whereas a lot of the books, every book I have, and and. Um, Wikipedia and so forth, or not uh-huh. the Star Trek Wikipedia, they stick to production order. There's cosmetic differences. There's no huge yes. continuity in the show, yeah. uh, but there are subtler elements of continuity. But it actually, it doesn't really matter. So you're quite fine to stick with your yeah. Netflix running order. So what I, what I was thinking of doing was kind of I I I wrote down my reactions as the episodes kind of unfold. So I have like kind of bits and pieces of notes here just to. Um, go to, for it uh, to talk about it. So uh, I, I, it was it was really cool just seeing the the opening sequence, even in uh, the pilot in the cage, and uh, and it was very um, ambitious of uh, you know the, the the model of the Enterprise and this zooming shot cut in to actually go from outside the ship into the bridge. I thought was uh, very uh, very ambitious for Absolutely the time. Absolutely agree. And then it was interesting seeing seeing the crew there, and of course I was kind of like, "Who are all these guys?" <laughs> Except for Spock. Spock was there, but everyone else, I was like, "What?" And uh, and they clearly hadn't settled on a on a uniform style just yet. I you know even, even though I hadn't watched the show, I mean it's iconic. You know what what the Star Trek crew you know looked what like. Spock is supposed you, to look like yeah, exactly, yeah. and it was like it looked like Spock wearing Spock PJs. You know, he, he looked like he was he was wearing Spock pajamas. He was he was wearing a, a bad Spock costume, which I suppose literally is what that was. It was a Spock costume. Um, but uh, but initially, I was watching this and I was like, "Is is this Kirk? Is this Captain Kirk?" Because I you know because they don't name him, or at least I didn't catch them naming him initially. So for a while, I was like, "Is is this Kirk?" And they just this because. Because I'm aware that there were two pilots. Uh, the next one I'm going to be watching next. Um, but uh, clearly the first pilot didn't work. <laughs> so um, I was wondering initially, was this Kirk? But then no, it turns out that it's Pike, Captain Pike. Which, now I don't know anything more about Pike other than he was the first captain in the J.J. Abrams movies. Which That's I don't know it, if yeah. Pike... I don't know if Pike ever shows up again, or is that a little nod to Pike just there? I thought that was a really nice touch, um, but yeah. So I was like, "Oh, okay." So we're we're with we're with Pike, and um, but it was an it was I was really interested to see how much of what would become um, you know center place of Star Trek was there from the word go, like the 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 iconic door swipes and the the flip phones. You know, and, yeah. it, and it's like it's like they knew they knew. You know, it was it's it's funny. You know, flip phones have since come and gone. <laughs> We're that far into the future now. Like, what 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 year is this set? Oh, what year is it set? I can yes. look down here and I'll tell you that in a moment. I was all set to say nineteen sixty four and give you all sorts of behind the mm. scenes stuff. Yeah. Um, I will go to my chronology actually to answer that. But yeah, the the network just felt that that was a bit too cerebral and they didn't it like was. Spock. Yeah. They didn't like yeah. Spock. They didn't like number one. They didn't like mm-hmm. a woman. That's how she... And, and Roddenberry kind of had to trade off kind of yeah. keeping 
one character and losing the other, so he chose ah. to keep the character. Okay, we're in the Earth year 2265. Okay, um, cool, that's interesting. Started one... No, sorry, that's where No Man Has Gone Before. I'm looking at the wrong pilot there, so ah. I'll just go back a wee bit. But yeah, Pike's a major character in the... Oh, Cage is no started. 54, 2254, it says okay. here, for the Cage. No star date given in episode... Um. Yes, and 13 years prior to the menagerie. That won't mean anything to you, but it does mean anything Not does mean yet. to me. Not okay. Pike, Pike uh, was the main character in a lot of those Star Trek novels. No more than Star Wars. Oh, Star Trek, cool. of course, has a healthy... Uh, expanded universe. Of expanded universe, of course. And d- d- uh, d- without Disney, saying, Disney hasn't dissolved the continuity. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the character of Pike is, at this moment in time... At the forefront of Star Trek production, I won't say any more. But um, yeah, and, and intriguing, absolutely. Again, without saying anything for you, although it's hardly a spoiler yeah. because it's like decades away for you. But uh, we'll say Pike is back with a new actor, obviously, and is absolutely fantastic. And there is a huge fan love for the character and the new actor, and myself very much included. It's uh-huh. really, really one of the best things about Star Trek at the moment is. Uh, Captain Pike, but anyway, that's okay. Decades, so that's decades exciting. Away. Yeah, mm. de- decades away so far. Oh, that's cool. Um, like, uh, ev- I-, I loved even just how ready they were um, world building. You know, with um, talking about where you know different stars that were call different systems that are colonized and Vega, and you know, like naming off all these different stars. Is like, oh, I know that star. Um, you know, <laughs> and uh, and the fax machines. They have fax machines. <laughs> fax machines on the enterprise it's amazing um and even and even right then and there when they're going into hyperspace or not what was it warp is it they call it warp yeah well they're traveling by warp yeah yeah um so uh you know even there they have you know engage from the very first episode which i thought was cool and then that's where we get the um the theme tune the in the wonderfully cheesy warp effect um but one thing that i really noted uh in this initial pilot and it's something that you know, I recognized would later be uh, course corrected, but uh, all the white people, all the white people, it's ah, you know, it's 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 like yeah, fair enough. You know, they they, they had they had women on the bridge, and what what was it? Number one, yes, number one, fantastic yeah. character that uh, doesn't even have a name uh, though. It, She's no, number- <laughs> I She's am not a number. One, but- I am a free man. <laughs> <laughs> Different uh, franchise, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, a, there was no. I think Roddenberry, he definitely behind the scenes. I mean, he definitely had aspirations. He definitely mm. had goals, but he was also held back a little bit on what he could do. Yet. Yes, yeah, um, because he, of the I, very tight TV rules uh, that were in place in the states. Yes, yeah, I because you know we, we, we can talk about it once we get to the to the second um, episode. But it was quite amazing just seeing. Um, uh, how how diverse it would get, and particularly in the context of where the show was made. But we we, we can we can get to that, um, and of course you know we also have you know the the beamy machine where they're beamed down to the planets and um and uh, you know wow that soundstage, <laughs> look at that look at that painting in the background it's wonderful. But again but again it's cool. You're going to see a lot of that though. That's yeah. that's very much like yeah. sixties. Star Trek. Yeah. It's it's interesting though. Like even looking at the character of Spock, there he he isn't the character of Spock that we know. He's he's a bit goofier. I find he's a bit you know a bit more laid back. He, you know he's not the highly illogical James. You know you know Jim uh, that 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 absolutely co- yeah. He's what quite the character became? The yeah, like 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 I when think what happened? A lot of the traits of the character they dropped. Number one. That yes. merged the traits, and so her yes. tendency to be emotionless became mm-hmm. Spock's tendency to be emotionless. Ah, that makes sense. Um, the um, yeah, because I, I, like there's there's that bit where, where they're playing with a weird trippy singing blue leaves, and he's like you know giggling <laughs> giggling at it, and it's like that's weird. That's 
highly not Spock. Um, but uh, and then and then of course they stumble upon this camp and and they're all like you know is is Earth all right? All these old guys and they're all uh, surrounded uh, surrounding this. Uh, hey there, sexy blonde lady. Is it Vina? Is her name? That's or, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, wonderfully sixties blonde bombshell. Hello, boys. And That's another thing you're going to see quite a oh, lot of in 1960s yes. Star Trek. Yes, Captain, you know, and, Captain and, Park, Captain Kirk does like the uh, 60s blonde yes. bombshells, and it's it, well because it's interesting coming to this from a 21st century perspective as well. Because in you know, in a lot of ways, it is so ahead of its time, but then you know, in a lot of ways, it's a product of its time. Um, so uh, oh, the thing about Star Trek, and it maybe be lost on you a little bit, but for in the, mm-hmm. in the context of what else was on TV, it is so far ahead of its time now. Oh, yeah. Sci-fi at that time was lost in space, which I yeah. love, but is very silly. Mm-hmm. Voyage to the bottom of the sea, which is really silly sometimes. Time Tunnel was coming a season later. It's I love that show, mm. but those shows are just like Star Trek is on a different level. Even yeah. this pilot is on a different level. Um, and sci-fi on TV before that, back in the fifties, American sci-fi on TV was really aimed at children. Yeah, full stop. Yeah, the only competitor on television internationally in this was Doctor Who. Doctor Who in the UK was aimed at adults, and that was on the air at this time. Yeah, but other than that, it was really kids' TV and Star Trek. And it was all westerns. It was all westerns on TV. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, and then, uh, and then we, we, we discover that, uh, that the, um, the folks down at the camp are being watched, are being watched by these really creepy, oh, wow, they're really creepy alien designs. It's, I'm really intrigued as to, like, all of this really iconic imagery, which has influenced science fiction so far, uh, you know, and you're kind of watching it going, is this where this originated from? Like, you know, the alien with the big giant brain and it's bulging out. They reminded me very much of the Watchers from Marvel. Yes. And, uh, even, yes. and even just that very first image where they're just all silently watching them through a, through a screen. You know, it's uh, it's quite... I. I I wonder, you know, when 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 were the Watchers? Um, Watchers, I would imagine, I can check that probably. online here. No, no, I think the Watcher was there quite early 60s in the sixties, well. so yeah. I think it predates it. Oh, that's um, interesting. Not not going to be too hard to find out. Yeah. I'm online here with the with the Marvel wiki, but the it is one... such an iconic look. Yeah, 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 and of course they're all. Uh, um, um, communicating via telepathy. The first Watcher, he appeared in Fantastic Four 13, and that was in April of 1963. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Predates, yeah. But still, it's very, very much of that time, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's 1950s movies that I don't even know about. Yeah. Well, 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 that's true, actually. Yeah. 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 There must be a ton of of terrible B-movies. Uh, of uh, yeah, bulging kind of brains. Well, well, sure. There's that. There's that B movie. It is actually just a big giant brain with tentacles and eyeballs on it. Um, your feeling oh, of helplessness is your best friend, Savage. That's ringing yeah, the bell. Yeah, right? I can't put a name. On oh, it, I can't yeah. remember the name of it either. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so and so as 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 the episode progresses, then we we, we discover that uh, these guys are um, they teleport. Um, Captain Pike into a cell and he is looking across and realizes he's essentially in a, a little human or well not a human zoo but just a an alien zoo and oh my god some of those creatures like the apes the, the ape pig thing is oh, and the the bird monster it is terrifying I have a thing about like birds but more so birds with human eyes they just right. terrify me. Um, like, um, have you ever seen the Never Ending Story two? No. Oh, there's a character in that. I think that film scared me as a child. Um, but any kind of birds with relatively human eyes just really disturbs me. Um, so that really, uh, really got me. But it was interesting actually. I find the music in that is this really creepy do do 
do. It reminded me a lot of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Where really, yeah, where um, in in the kind of quiet section, whenever uh, everyone has gone to bed, and uh, what's his name, um, Riff Raff and Magenta are like taunting um, Rocky. There's a really kind of creepy bit there. Where I, I find the music very similar, and of course that that movie was a, a complete send up to all of those fifties and sixties B B movie 100%. things. So. The thing about the music, which is interesting for Star Trek, and it's common for a lot of shows, but certain episodes of Star Trek were scored, and then other episodes used that music. Yeah, so So you'll hear hear that music a lot over the run of the 80 episodes or 79 episodes. So they just recycled various cues. Yeah, and I would have the CDs. I collected that music back through the 90s. So the thing about that is it's iconic, but it reminds you... Of so many episodes, it's not just a, like a yes, normal soundtrack. Course. Now, when you yeah, buy a yeah. soundtrack, this resonates because you're like, "Oh, that's the episode where Kirk did this, and that's the episode yeah. where Spock uh, did that." Very good. Um, yeah, like because because I find that because then once um, uh, once Pike is trapped down uh, down on the planet, number one is in charge, isn't she? Yep. I, second I, in I, command. Number number one is second in command, and they, yeah. they that reappeared in Star Trek The Next Generation. Ah, Riker yes. is number one. Oh, and he's gotcha. constantly referred to as number one. Ah. So uh and and that would the, the conceit is is the captain and the next in command is number one. Very good. Because because I, I I find that was really intriguing, you know, right in the nineteen sixties, right in the middle of se- second wave feminism, you know? I was like, oh, Absolutely this agree, is, yes. This is yep. this is great. You know, I mean you know, I mean had you know, that had that made it to television, which it didn't in that yeah. form, that would have been quite significant to oh, have a situation time. like that. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 I found it found it really cool, and um, and just how yeah, it 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 just it seems to be in in some ways pushing the boat out, and then in the other and then in the other ways, this complete fantasy land of the <laughs> of the blonde down in the cell going, I will be whatever you want me to be, and you're just like. Okay, there, yeah. Well, two two, two back, steps forward, one step back. Back on the ship as well, he has the yeoman, the, the red-haired yes. yeoman, who is really cute and adorable. Yes. But obviously kind of his 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 servant, really. Just yeah, really pretty much. After the captain. And, then, and then later in the episode, she's like, which one would you have chose? And you're like, oh, whoa. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so... Um, so then they start kind of replaying memories of Pike and kind of taking him to different places on this big temple on Rigel 7 where he fights a big barbarian who was terrifying. Um, and uh, But yeah, just, just really... I, I, I love the concept where they were just manipulating him so much and um, making him... Even though he could see through them, he was also falling for their tricks. You know, he was sitting there yeah. going, no, I'm not going to fall for this. But they're forcing his hand because they're like, well, if you don't defend her, she's going to be killed, you know. And he's like, ah, oh, damn it, you're making me care about her, which I thought well, I thought was very good. Um, and uh, yeah, because uh, like, you know, there's on the other hand, you do just have that fantasy slave girl element where, you know, she's like, I can wear whatever, whatever you want. You know, I have to wear something, don't I? And you're just like, ah, <laughs> no, I, I, I find uh, the kind of femme fatale seemingly a, a recurring theme in these uh, in these episodes, which I've watched a little bit so far. Okay, interesting. Okay, I never thought of that actually. Yeah, we'll come back to that. So because yeah, but, um, I think that's part of but, the fiction of the time, of and course, particularly private eye fiction. Yeah. I mean, which I love from those years. I watch a lot of those fifties and sixties detective shows. Yeah, um, and it is kind of the trope. Yeah, that the woman can't be trusted or will lead the hero astray yes. in any episodes. You know, it's interesting actually. Um, the thing that this really reminded me of was, um, and the, I, I suppose this is probably the one of the one of the shows that I grew up with watching from the sixties was Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was funny just watching it. Uh, from that regard, like some of the sound effects, some of the uh, some of the models and stuff, I was like, "This is reminding me of Thunderbirds," and I suppose it kind of makes makes sense in that you know they were made uh, you know in uh, similar times. Um, Absolutely, yes. 
Um, but uh, but again, I loved how um, these these alien guys, these kind of creepy brain guys, their their planet was ravaged by wars thousands of centuries ago, and you're just sitting there going, "Oh, here's 1960s fear of thermonuclear war, nuclear winter." Here it is cropping up again. It's like, look, this can happen here. Because, you know, this is right. And this is only a couple of years after the Cuban Missile Crisis. And people mm-hmm. are living in, in you know, subtle underlying fear of it. At some point, someone somewhere could press a button and everything goes boom. Absolutely. And one show, actually, I was listing all the shows of the time and I was thinking of kind of adventure shows. Yeah. And I did make a big omission because you remind me with that last thought mm-hmm. that the other sci-fi show at the time, which predates Star Trek, was Twilight Zone. Ah, yes. And those kind of stories, yeah. and I love the original Twilight Zone, yeah. those kind of stories are very much part of what the Twilight Zone was about. Yeah. So Rod Serling did push the envelope. He pushed yeah. the bar up as to what could be done. In a similar way on, as to what Black Mirror does today. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. And Roddenberry then... I mean, he had reason to believe, I think, from looking over mm. or looking over at uh, Twilight Zone, that it was possible to do smart sci-fi on TV. Yeah. I One thing that I found really fascinating and so relevant to today was how, you know, in, in that time of the, the thousands of years of war and their species going underground, they found that dreams became more important and they forgot how to develop things. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, just how people get so sucked into entertainment and get so sucked into consuming and not actually developing uh, as a species or developing technology to developing new ideas. You know, in some ways it almost feels like, you know, the entertainment industry at the moment where it just seems to be, recycling nostalgia over and over again. Um, I agree. That's one of my favorite themes in that pilot movie. Um, It's a couple of years since I've seen it, but I agree that really stands out. Mm. And it's very interesting. I love that take on it. I feel the same way about it. And again, it's a theme that the show returns to the idea of getting caught up in a fantasy life instead of actually being productive. That'll come up again. Yeah, uh, Not a lot, but it will come up again. It's a theme that Roddenberry and the producers returned to. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, oh that's that's exciting. Um, I, I also thought it was quite fitting that the, uh, that the first episode dealt with a, a kind of Adam and Eve theme in that way. It was very much a ge- yeah. genesis of Star Trek in itself. Um, very good. Yeah, but, very good. Uh, but yeah, no, it's... It, I was very impressed with how it uh, dealt with a lot of these issues and even looking at how little little things that they mention, like when he has the fantasy of, of being back home with all the horses and whatnot, and they're talking about, you know, well, this place used to be desert when we were younger and now it's all covered in forest. So I'm like, ooh, ooh, has mankind finally discovered how to, you know, how to reverse desertification? Is is the earth actually a better place in the future? Please tell tell me it's so. Um, you know, so I, I do like, I like the, optim- the optimism of the show. I mean, it, you know, it challenges you with a lot of things, but... There is an underlying optimism around it, at least regarding humanity, which is uh, very refreshing. Yeah, it's very much part of Star Trek through the 60s and into the next generation and beyond that the optimism and the, that belief that things will be good mm. in the future is, 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 is key to what Star Trek has. Yeah. Because so much futuristic sci-fi is dystopian yes. and goes the other direction. Yeah. And one of the best, one of the best shows on TV right now is not in the Star Trek universe, but it's hugely influenced, and that is the Orville, that Seth MacFarlane show. Oh, oh yes, I, I, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I know I've heard that it's yeah. super inspired by Star Trek. Oh, super inspired, and he has said, and I've read several interviews with him because I love that show. But he said that's one of the things that he missed when he was developing the Orville which was before Star Trek returned to TV. Yes. He was looking at TV and futuristic things and saying, this is so depressing. Yeah. Let's do it the way Star Trek yes. did it. Yes. Oh, that's a good idea. And and then, of course, they also pick holes in humanity and looking at how, 
Uh, ironically, it's our hatred that acts as the shield because they can't see through such primitive emotion as hate, um, which I thought was quite uh, quite interesting. But of course, then they uh, they have this um, Arabian fantasy where she's a, a a dancing green slave girl. Uh, and you're just like, oh, there we go, there we go. We, we we have to, and oh, and what one of the guys is like, they actually like being taken taken advantage of, and it's like, oh, oh no, oh guys, stop, no, <laughs> don't say these things. <laughs> oh, sixties, oh, sixties, times, yeah. Um, and even I, I I found it interesting how much she reminded me of She Hulk. In the way that she looked. Yeah. You know, so again, just so much influential, either subliminal or otherwise. Although when when did when was this episode first? I know I know that she isn't the first or the, the only green lady in uh, in Star Trek uh, into the future, but um when when did this episode see the light of day? Um, I can answer that, but I don't want to. I, I want to like. I might end up spoiling something coming up for you. Okay, that's interesting. I'll we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll, you, we'll put that you, on a shelf. Then, so yeah, if you don't know the answer to that, like uh, first of all, that pilot episode never aired, right? Yes, that, that much you know. It yeah. did not air on TV. However, there was a lot of money spent on that episode. And you've got to look at this from the point of view of the network. You know, there's got to be a point where they're like, you know, you filmed a lot of stuff there. You spent a lot of money on it. Is there anything we could do with that? Let's get into the editing suite, I think. So I I think it might be better for you as a first-time viewer if I don't answer your question. Okay. Just leave it be for a while okay. and let you watch the rest, watch the episodes coming forward again. We'll put that think, on a shelf then, so. Thing. Yeah, for the time yeah. being. For not very long. Yeah. For not very long. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I found it funny how, uh, you know, there's, there's no red shirts yet. Um, I'm, 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 I'm looking out for the red shirts. I'm, I'm watching for the red shirts. They're not here yet, but, uh, yeah, how, how they're, uh, comparing number one to a computer and they're like, oh no, she, you know, she's, she's smart, but she's like a computer. It's like, oh, okay. Um, and that's the whole, that's the side of her personality that became Spock. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, they read her mind because ah, they've 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 since been beamed down to the planet, and they read her mind, and they're like, "Oh, but she has fantasies of you, uh, of of Pike," and you're just kind of saying, "Oh, of course she does, <laughs> of course she does." <laughs> they can't, yeah, they can't read through hate. Uh, oh yeah, Spock completely bails on them. <laughs> He's like, "No, no, they're done for. Let's go. Let's let let's just go." I was like, Gee. "I found Spock to be quite harsh at times." <laughs> Like, even before the fantasy uh, completely disappeared, he was like, nope, there's no survivors. They're done. Let's let, let's go. I suppose it's that thing of they were trying maybe to make this alien person where uh, probably they were, I'm trying to think here, but they were probably thinking they just thought, here's somebody who doesn't think the way we do and doesn't react the way we would. Yeah. Yeah, possibly, I, uh, possibly. That, that's that's true. That's true. We we have We have so much emotion. Um and oh, oh and I loved as well uh, the uh, the micro record technology that they have of all the like the 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 flick, flickering images going past you know like a little slideshow of of all ah, okay. human history and knowledge and technology I was like oh how high tech and of course it's got like pictures of uh, um, President Eisenhower uh, John F Kennedy uh, Lyndon B Johnson and it was like. Like even watching that now, it's like, oh, that was so far in the past, and they were people watching it in the sixties would be like, oh, oh, we know that, we know that guy, that that's from our time, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I, yeah. I that was, yeah. you know, in the same way as like when when we first watched Matrix Reloaded, you had uh, George W. Bush in the back in the background, and you're like, oh, that's from our time, and now you're watching it as like, oh, early noughties, God. Um, <laughs> But it's an enjoyable hour of TV. I know it's a bit cerebral and slow, but I mean, I, I've watched it um, like the last couple of years again, and it works as an hour of TV. It works as a story, I think, and it's likable yeah. and Pike's likable and the dilemma. Yeah, kind I, of I, holds I, I, was, up. I was actually I was quite impressed with that, like because because again, for ages, uh, you know, you can see that he is a bit of a proto Kirk just in the writing of it, but at the same time, 
the final ingredient of Kirk is the shat. <laughs> Shatter's amazing. You know? um, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, ov- overall, I mean, uh, you know, other, other other wee bits and pieces of notes on on that episode. But sure, we can uh, we can we can move on to the man trap. Well, then, uh, if we're leaving it, then then really the only question that matters is: Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it was rough around the edges and very much a pilot, but a very impressive pilot. And I always love when you watch a pilot how much of what the show went on to be is in the pilot. I love it when that happens. I love when you can see that um, and and you can see what sold the network on it. But also in this regard, you can also see uh, it wasn't quite there yet. And I'm intrigued to see this next episode now um, where, where no man has gone before to, to see what really sold them on it. But... Now, 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 as, now as we go into the man trap, here we are entering a little more um, familiar territory with uh, Captain Kirk. Something I noticed straight away is they clearly had a much lower budget to what was allowed for the very first pilot. Like, you know, when 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 they go down to the, the planet with the lost civilization, it's like... They don't even bother with the painting along the along the backdrop. It's just it's just a sheet, and they're like, nope, just just a, we're on a planet. It's fine. We're not you know we're not going to draw a different mountain for every single episode. It's a sheet. Deal with it. Um, and I I can appreciate that. You know I I, I appreciate kind of lo, lo, uh, value for money. Shall we say? One thing that I noticed that was missing from the first, from uh, the cage that entered into this, which I thought was very, very smart from a writing perspective. And I mean, it, you know, it, it has since become the, the stereotype of, uh, or the, uh, just the, the staple of Star Trek is the Captain's Log, Stardate. 20, 27.39, we, we approached a planet and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's such a good simple you know it's a cheap writing tool but it works and it and it was something that the first that first episode was missing is that they're able to just catch you up dive straight in and just in case you're worried he's like the crew was feeling this way but we didn't realize it just yet that none of us knew that we were looking at a different lady and all this kind of stuff it's you know it works and and you can see how that became a very effective formulaic writing tool in the show and um and so 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 this episode they go down to uh, a a planet with a lost civilization to check up on bones's uh, and of course here we have bones uh, what's it McCoy? McCoy Dr McCoy Dr McCoy yeah and it's it's always it's always been of interest to me that NBC chose to lead off the series with a Dr McCoy yeah. episode because McCoy's central to this yeah. episode at this stage DeForest Kelly isn't even in the opening credits he's not really he's not one wow. of the main stars of the show yeah cuz bones was one of the characters growing up that I never absorbed just from general pop culture uh, you know, like growing up, I knew who Captain Kirk was. I knew who Spock was. I knew who Scotty was. The others, I didn't quite gather at that point. Even even from the song, you know, Star Trek, in, which I hate that song. I hate it. Uh, and it is, and it will now be stuck in my head for the rest of the day. Um, but the, uh, it's worse than that. He's dead, Jim. His um, other catchphrase then is, I'm a doctor, not an engineer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm yeah. A- yeah, I'm a doctor, not a physicist, you know. But it's funny, like, the amount of things that I recognize from references and other things. Particularly, I, I said this in the previous episode about um, Jim Carrey movies, where he actually does a lot of this, where um, he's talking about, uh, uh, in Ace Ventura, where he's diving into um, the, the pool to search for Dolphin Snowflake. And he's like, Captain's Log, start date, 27.39. We're looking for the dolphin uh, and then uh, and then of course he's like god damn it jim i'm i'm a doctor not a not a pool man um but uh, but i had to laugh because um one of the very first things that that happens so we're introduced to darnell 
hello, Darnell. I'm like, oh, Darnell, you're not wearing a red shirt, but I have a funny feeling you're wearing red under that shirt. Uh, Already you kind of, you feel that trope of the disposable third person (laughs) coming, creeping in. People are so disposable in this show. It's insane. And so, of course, Darnell is... uh, is is killed and of course just just before this uh i got for the first time the iconic opening of space the final frontier these are the voyages of the starship enterprise uh, which i was like ooh, cool i didn't realize that it was a five-year mission um that was uh that was well because because i'm i'm more familiar with the uh next generation version which was our continuing mission isn't it yes or ongoing ongoing mission yes um, but no, so I, I, I didn't know it was a five-year mission. So I'm curious if there's going to be more built around the whole thing of, you know, we've been out here for five years or, you know, how how far into this mission we are. Or I'm, I'm intrigued to see if there will be any broader story arcs than just kind of monster of the week, planet of the week kind of a kind of a thing. And then, uh, and then we are introduced a bit more to the crew up in the Enterprise. And I have to say, for a show made in the late 60s, I still have to doff my cap to them. It's such a, such a fantastic, forward-thinking thing to have such a diverse cast uh, and crew running running the Starship Enterprise, like you know, thinking of the of the historical context of this, right in the middle, right in the height of the civil rights movement, and here you have a a, a, a black woman. And now, is is she is Uhura from South Africa? I don't have a clue. Or I I'll look it up. Yeah, on the wiki. Because, 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 because later in the ep- later in the episode where the uh, changeling creature turns into uh, a guy and he speaks Swahili to her, and she's like, "Oh, Swahili!" Now I know she speaks a bugger ton of of languages, but still, I I'd be really intrigued if she was okay. I have the wiki page here, just of African descent, yeah, uh, fluent in Swahili, yeah, uh, nothing. Uh, nothing else. But I mean, even, you know, even even that alone, you know, right in the middle of the civil rights movement. But at that point, you have apartheid South Africa in the world. You have America, who is barely twenty years after being at war with Japan, and you have and you have Sulu, played by the wonderful George Takei. No, I haven't met him yet. Uh, I haven't met the character of Chekhov, but. Right here in the middle of all of this, you have a Russian, which I think such a great stroke. Again, the show made right in the middle of the Cold War. And Gene Roddenberry was so forward thinking to say, yeah, we're all going to get past this insanity and uh, we can all come together as one. And uh, of course, Americans and Russians can work together. I, I I just thought that was wonderful. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Although Chekhov doesn't show up until the second season. Oh, okay. Oh, so he so so he was he was a later addition. That's interesting. But uh, yeah, so I, I I love the kind of the mystery aspect of this uh, this episode as well, where you know the I mean obviously you know it's this kind of weird changeling character who's who's doing it, but uh, the whole thing of um, you know the those who are found dead are found with all these hoop uh, circle marks a lot along their body. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm an adult, and I was watching. It, I was like, ah, oh, I bet you it's a character with loads of suckers, and they're gonna like suck them dry. They're gonna they're gonna suck them for all the salt because they're obsessed with salt. And spoilers, turns out I was right. But uh, it's the journey. It's the journey. But yeah, now now we kind of have Spock. Who is now calm and cool as we, as as we know Spock to be logical above all else. Yes, not wearing pajamas. Yeah, he's yeah he's not in his pajamas. And then we we, we have uh, Uhura flirting with Spock as well, which I, which I thought was interesting. I don't know, are they a thing? I know they were a thing in the J.J. Abrams movies, 
But I don't know. Are they a thing in the show? No, not with her. Sort of, sort of with somebody else, but then not really. Yeah. yeah. The thing with Spock is what's under the passion beneath the surface. Yeah, I'm totally feeling that. He and, is, and, and that was a big thing. That was a big thing for fandom. Yeah. Uh, for the female demographic, yes. this idea. You know, it really. That's why he was such a, a sex symbol. Yeah, I'd say it wasn't the. I'd say it wasn't just the female viewers. <laughs> Absolutely, of course, because again, with Spock, it's all about re- repression, re- repressing y- your sexuality, repressing who you who you really yeah. who you really are. Okay, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what, one one thing that I noticed uh, that was said, um, I think, um, in that conversation with Uhura, he's, he mentions that Vulcan has no moon. To which I was thinking, from the J.J. Abrams movie, I was like, well, where the hell was he when he watched Vulcan being destroyed? Was that a moon or was that another planet? What's going on here, guys? Continuity, seriously. <laughs> so, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's that, that, that'll, be in a, that'll be in a couple of years. It's funny, actually. I find the uh, some of the medical equipment that they had uh, sounded like I think is like FaceTime or something that, which I thought was quite funny. I was like, that sounds very much like FaceTime. I loved actually where where, where it got to a point where um, Captain Kirky was like, I I've lost a man. You know, I was like, oh, here we go, classic shot. You know, he's just oh, it's when 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 Shatner gets going, he's just wonderful. <laughs> Oh, he's so good. I'm- Fantastic. He brings so much to the table. Exactly. Any performance, whatever show he's in, is great. Yes. And and he grows he grows into himself. He be- over the three years of Star Trek, yeah. he he becomes the we'll be- with the William Shatner that that we all know. Yeah. Like like what what I'm intrigued by is I know very little Captain Kirk. Um I mean I, I know I know there's a whole Kirk Picard thing of you know who, who are, are are you for Kirk are you for Picard and at the moment I would be more of a Picard guy but that's that's just based on what I know and I know more Picard than I do Kirk but right now I'm loving Kirk <laughs> I'm loving as well just like little details um the little um whistle sound for the intercoms the uh, little sound mm. That's cool. It's a little naval. Ah, you see, the naval influence is very strong on the show because they took the command structure. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the idea, and it made everything. It, other shows before yes. that didn't have that. But this was more believable. More realistic. More realistic, and it seemed yeah. more plausible, and, and it's one of the reasons that Star Trek stood out. Because before, in terms of anything else that came beforehand, because here you had, yeah. here you had a, a, a futuristic world that was based on something tangible, based on something that a lot of people knew, something that was real. Yeah, uh, and it's 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 uh, it's a great idea. Well, one one thing that really struck me, um, and it and it struck me with uh, Charlie X as well, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that next time. But. Uh, so far, they seem to have terrible protocol about bringing people on board these ships. Oh my god! Because, so in this episode, so the the shapeshifter creature um, d- doubles over the body of uh, Crewman Green, um, who who wasn't wearing a red shirt either. They just they're like, okay, let's let's beam everybody up, hey, straight back into the ship. This is brilliant because um, I remember that was one of the one of the things the writers of Alien were were really staunch about when they were writing it they were like we we've created a universe where the protocols are just so are so strict how in hell ah. could you get an alien on board and uh, I'm, I'm one of the guys using very using very strong language ra- rang up one of the other writers in the middle of the night he's like what if he impregnates him but using stronger language than that okay and I can uh, imagine. And, that, and that's how they ca- uh, came up with the the concept of the face huggers uh and the xenomorph for alien but uh but back to this so we've so we've got the shapeshifter who has now made it on board the enterprise mm-hmm. and, and 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 the body and acting hilariously inappropriate and bones i i love the um juxtaposition like bones is just so passionate and even even though Kirk is as well, Kirk is very 
calculated in his leadership. He's very, he seems to be, is uh, like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. And Bones is like, no, but we need to do this. You know, like he, Bones is very much kind of thinking with his heart. Yes, that's a very uh, good, yes, and, yes. Uh, that works really well between the two of them. And I, and I like that, this dynamic that which already seems to be unfurling is the these these relationships the characters bounce react very well off each other and reveal a lot about each other you know well, the three core characters and i think it does come out in the early episodes it definitely comes out as the season goes on but it's really kirk spock mccoy mccoy being the heart as you said spock being the brain and Kirk is sort of the middle, and he feeds off both of them yeah. and makes his decisions based on them. Yeah, that's that's what I like, and I think that's why Kirk Kirk is the leader in that way, and and why why Spock isn't the leader, even though you know mm. you'd kind of think, well, you'd you'd th- you'd imagine the the most logical person would be the leader, but no, it's it's Kirk because he's able to to rally people, he's able to make these decisions, he's he's able to make the tough decisions. That's um, interesting because you're going to enjoy. There's an episode later on where you're going to enjoy seeing Spock's style of leadership, and it's a great episode, but that's, that's a few weeks away. Oh, good, a few weeks away. Oh, good. Excellent. Um, and then, uh, oh, and uh, a character who I, who I didn't know who have uh, been introduced to was Janice. Hello, Janice. Yes. Taking the place. Wonderful 60s beehive Taking the place hair. of the red-haired uh, yeoman from the pilot. It's essentially the same character, basically filling in ah, the same yes. job kind of bringing the captain yes. coffee and constantly bringing him pieces of paper to sign and things are, are things to acknowledge yeah but a little a little bit of of eye candy yes and, and of course she's 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 walking down the corridor and these two other random crewmen just like randomly stop and stare at her and you're just like oh 60s <laughs> <laughs> they're like damn and then we're introduced to sulu uh who isn't on the bridge yet he is in his little uh laboratory with uh oh, he's a botanist isn't he uh, yeah. all these ro- yeah yeah aye. and uh this wonderful glove plant that's like screeching and stuff uh called uh called gertrude i thought was uh was quite uh quite cute um, it's interesting listening to you because i've seen the episode but again i would have seen it later in the run as an introductory episode i suppose it's not the worst it does while it puts mccoy front and center it does give you yeah. a flavor for who else is on the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, I have to say though, it's quite funny, like the amount of kind of random. There, there must be such an infinite amount of random weirdness that happens because some of the things that seem to go unnoted is just hilarious. Like where, <laughs> where, where uh, the shapeshifter was like looking at Janice and licking his lips at her as she was carrying the the thing with the salt on it and uh, and she just walks into Sulu and she's like oh ha la 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 and it's like aren't you going to tell anybody about this weird random guy <laughs> green who's like just looking at her he's like okay green bye and and then and then of course someone else someone else has died in the corridors and you can totally see him flinch as they poke his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like oh no he's dead no he flinched no no he's dead wink wink wink. I was uh, actually I was watching one of those um, Cynthia Rothrock's um, uh, martial arts movies you know from the nineties yeah. uh, martial law in fact oh yeah and. Um, there was a dead body. There was a scene in the Ross standing around this dead body and he was just clearly, clearly, he wasn't even trying. He was just breathing. He was just up and down. He, was, he wasn't he was even attempting. Um, yeah. And and again, uh, I love the little details like where, where they then go on to talk about the buffalo and, uh, you know, the buffalo being extinct. And it's like, ah, oh, the buffalo didn't make it. The buffalo, of course, being bison. They're not buffalo. They're bison. The great North American bison. Which I have seen. They're beautiful creatures. I saw some in Canada, in Manitoba. Uh, there's, there's actually um, um, my my wife's from Manitoba, and um, the bison is on their flag. But uh, according to Star Trek, they did go extinct, and it's very sad. It, it it's funny the way that the show kind of reveals itself sometimes, because literally from the opening scene, you know that there's something up with this weird shapeshifter person. <laughs> And then later in the episode, it's revealed. Wait a minute! 
Nancy's dead and the music's like dun 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 and you're like yeah we got that <laughs> we got that um but something that I've that I found uh, really interesting is this shapeshifter is a really great way of saving budget because it's just played and of course you know because the the special effects that they do they're just little cross dissolves and sometimes not even they just go in one door and walk out the other as a different person like it's such a wonderfully low budget way of having a monster because the audience is sitting there going oh no they're a different person now and you know you don't although at the same time then at the end of the episode they do finally reveal the monster which i'm really glad that they did and i was right it had suckers on its hands i was right i was right yes yes, um but uh but yeah and uh, and I loved just that um, final, um, the uh, dilemma that they put Bones into where uh, he has to shoot Nancy. And and it, even even after we see it as the monster, it transforms back into Nancy. And it's like, no, please, don't, don't kill me. Uh, and, and he's like, I'm sorry, but I have to. And he shoots her. And it's... Very it's, sad. Uh, Very sad. It's very sad. It's very sad. But yeah, that's a handy um, way for budget. The only better way, I think, for budget yeah. is to have an invisible monster, which I've seen other shows do. Uh, the invisible oh, monster. Oh, yes, yes. Kolchak in the 70s would do that occasionally to yeah. save money. This week's Monster of the Week is invisible. It's an invisible force. Or Sharif, even in the most recent uh, movie there of Invisible Man, where it's it's a great one where you can cast the biggest 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 actor you want to and they literally have to be on set for three days yes. <laughs> you know and it's like oh look we have we have bradley cooper as the invisible man <laughs> and it's like look at that door opening that was bradley cooper it's like, no, it was. <laughs> but in our mind we see bradley cooper opening yes. that door but uh, oh, I, I i had to i had to laugh where Spock comes in and just beats the living crap out of Nancy. He's like, would, would Nancy be able to take this? And he just slaps her across the face over and over again. It's like, could you imagine if it wasn't a shapeshifter and he just comes walking in, beats the crap out of her face? I, uh, and, 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 I, and I love the way that he punches with his two hands clasped. Very entertaining. Very entertaining. So um, would you consider it a step up from the pilot? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because what was missing from the pilot, I suppose I'm a little biased because I have had 30 years of pop culture absorption that I know the eventual crew of the Enterprise are iconic by almost by default at this stage. So uh, when I stepped into the pilot a lot of it was unfamiliar. Even though a lot of it was familiar, there was still a lot that was uh, unfamiliar. But it was definitely a step up, I think, in the writing. I think the Captain's Log is a very good exposition dump way of keeping the audience with you, which the first episode was was missing. And... Just in general, I think. Well, I mean, William Shatner is fantastic, um, but I think just in general, just the and I know this is a very twenty first century thing. But I, I, I think the diversity of uh, of the cast is brilliant, particularly for its time, and mm-hmm. and very, very much so in comparison to the pilot, which was as white as a sheet of paper. <laughs> you know. Um, I, I just thought it was uh, a really good, you know, cause, cause it's funny because I, I'm aware that, you know, nowadays I'll, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there who have kind of negative attitudes towards, um, a lot of kind of science fiction and fantasy being quote unquote woke and, you know, having problems with, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, Doctor Who is being too feminist or this show is, is being, they're too diverse. Oh, look, there's, there's barely any white people in it nowadays. And it's kind of like, you know, particularly, you know, because now I haven't heard the specific, the specific complaints about Star Trek, but I am aware that there are some complaints about Star Trek being more woke nowadays as well. And it's like, but Star Trek 
seem seems to have always been pushing the boat out forward. Like, yes, it does have a lot of problematic 1960s chauvinism, but, I mean, it was very much ahead of the game in a lot of other ways. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that's something that... That like as a, as a twenty first century viewer, that's something that I'm picking up almost straight away, and I mm. and I'm really enjoying it for that. Absolutely, and that's uh, that argument that things are now woke again. That annoys me as well for a very similar reason. Star Trek was always at the forefront when Star when Star Trek Discovery was announced and started. Yeah, there was an outcry from a certain percentage about the fact that the main character was a woman who was black. And it just seemed like I wondered how closely those people were watching Star Trek in the past. Well, what, because well wasn't the seems... captain of Deep Space Nine black and the captain of Voyager was a woman? Absolutely. But yet it seemed that in this current era of fandom, if you have a character who has those traits, we put it that way, it seems as if you're only doing it because it's the thing to be done. Whereas <sighs> it's obviously what Star Trek has always has been always been about yeah. about yeah. so that always I'm always annoyed by that always annoyed yeah. by that it's just uh, and it, of course Star Trek unfortunately isn't the only one to fall victim to it but yeah it is one of the things that you see online but as I, I said I, I, I have been a Star Wars fan <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's such a shame too yeah there's, there's yeah, a certain that, percentage that... percentage only of fandom. But they're quite ugly, and it's a shame yeah. that they, even in Star Wars, to think that some cast members had to leave social media. Yes, yes. That's just, that's horrendous it's in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking, speaking of problematic chauvinism, we'll be talking about Charlie X in the next episode. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so we're... We've come to the end of this episode, um, and as it and as it turns out, we'll be doing covering two episodes per podcast because uh, because th- 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 that's that's there's enough material there. We need. Yeah, there's, there's enough material there. There is material there. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot you can talk about. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we're still no more than the cage. We are refining our formula in this first. Episode. Exactly. Ex- exactly. We'll call this the pilot. This is the pilot, and I am currently wearing Spock pajamas right now. Um, <laughs> although, although I have I, today, I shaved my head, so I may be looking somewhat more Picardish. But who's yes, to know? yes. Who's to know? Mister Michael Eddy, if people are to want to find you online, how can they find you in your public? Quick. Personas. The quickest way, the quickest way to find me, I suppose, on Twitter, I use the handle Riker, which is very star. My favorite character is I was, Riker. I was about to so, say that. Spot, spot, yeah, the, spot so, the Trekkie right there. Spot the Trekkie. Riker Donegal, R I K E R Riker, and then Donegal, the place where we live, Donegal. So Riker Donegal is my Twitter handle, and from that, I suppose it's the handiest because any blog posts i put up i usually double you know double post them to twitter yeah so if you find my twitter handle you'll find that i review comic books from marvel and i review less and less tv now because in the last year year and a half i started reviewing tv on highland radio our local radio station which ironically has eaten up the time i would usually spend (laughs) for writing for writing about tv so the blog kind of came to a sort of a, a halt but I still review comic books a every hiatus, single day. A hiatus. Hiatus, yes. Until whenever the gig at Highland has come to an end. So, uh, and your good self, John, of course, you had a lot to do with me getting that particular gig. Very enjoyable you're gig welcome. that it is. Um, but yeah, I, I still review comic books every single day. And the blog posts go up four or five times a day. And you'll find that through Twitter as well. The blog is on Tumblr, yet another comic book. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best place. Should anyone wish to track me down on social media... Head yeah, to Twitter because and look, yeah, and look for Riker Donegal. Because I have to say, I personally love your um, videos on Instagram where you brutally <laughs> rip open your envelopes and slap down your brand new Marvel comics onto the thing and slam open the pages, flicking through it. Anyone who loves uh, was it S- ASMR? Watch that. The sound of opening up the book and flicking through is very satisfying. 
Yeah, I started that thing if I claim borrowed the trade paperbacks. I get about a trade paperback a week every week. The Epic Collection yeah. is my favorite. And uh, I started putting one-minute uh, clips up on Instagram, as you said. And I, you've commented before that I yeah. violently attacked. I love it. Kids. I love this. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Highly recommended, folks. Uh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, that's I'm record doing all up there as well. Actually, I use I use that handle. I've been using that handle for about twenty years. And before that, before I moved to Donegal, a surprise, surprise, I was Riker Leitrim because I was originally in Leitrim. Uh-huh. I've always go. loved the character of Riker he, for, because of two key episodes of Next Gen, and so that's always been my handle. And uh, for anyone who's up to date with the franchise, Jonathan Frakes is back playing Riker in Star Trek Picard in multiple episodes. Spoilers. So fantastic. It's just amazing for me, a fan of Riker, to see him back and just being awesome. Ah, I I look forward to watching that in the year 2043. (laughs) (laughs) By the time we eventually get there. Eh, we get there, we get there. Exactly. Steady and easy, steady and easy. And on that note, Mr. Laddie, we shall call it a day for episode well i mean this is episode two ish episode 1.5 whatever we don't know <laughs> whatever whatever I'll, I'll i'll name it those those who are listening will know what i'm talking about and very good thank you so much michael ah oh, that was great fun john thank you so much yourself Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you got this far, then hopefully you enjoyed it. Please let me know what you think. If we got anything wrong in this episode, please let us know on Twitter at John D. Ruddy. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so uh, through my Patreon at John D. Ruddy. And also go and check out Michael Eddy's stuff you heard in the previous uh, Riker Donegal. He's awesome. This podcast was presented by John D. Ruddy with special guest Michael Letty. It was produced by John D. Ruddy and edited by John D. Ruddy. And that sound. I should turn off my phone. We hope to have an episode of this out every week for your enjoyment. So, as I said before, please share this with whoever you think might enjoy it. And, uh, as they say in the world of Star Trek... Live long and carry on.